Guys, thank you, Carly. Good to have you back with us this weekend. Let's open our Bibles uh, to the book of Romans. Once again, we pick up in the second week of, of this uh, series. And uh, let me, before we get started, just say welcome to those of you that are visiting with us today, those that are a part of our virtual campus, streaming online, uh, whatever means by which you're watching. We're glad that you're here. Our prayer is, is that uh, you allow the Spirit of God to speak to you and that for some of you it will mean uh, becoming a follower of Christ, answering that call of God's Spirit upon your heart and becoming His follower. Uh, if you're a follower of Christ, becoming a part of a, of a church family. And we would love to talk with you about that and counsel, offer counsel to you about what that looks like, what it means to be a follower of Christ, and uh, how to be a part of a local community of faith and the priority of that. So if you would, at some point in the service or during the week, just text the, the word FL Respond or uh, FL Guest to 833-571-3475 and we can follow up with you. There is a wonderful Hasidic story about a rabbi that had a small son, a child, who uh, every day started the practice of wandering into the woods every day at the same time. Time. At first, his rabbi father was not that concerned, but then uh, he started like a parent, thinking about all the things that lurk in the woods. And uh, so uh, one day he asked his son before he departed, he said, my child, he said, I, I've noticed that you go out into the woods at the same time every day. He said, would you mind if I inquire as to why? And he said, father, not at all. He said, I go out into the woods every day to spend time with God. His rabbi father said, son, nothing pleases me more to know that you desire to have fellowship with God and to commune with him. But you know, son, that God is the same everywhere. And the child responded with wisdom beyond his years. Yes, father, but I'm not. The child had the wisdom to recognize that there were certain places certain times, certain designations that attuned his heart more to the things of God. Is that not the purpose of, of a church? Do we not find that, that when we come to a place like this, that, that we are more readily receptive to how God might speak, more attuned to the things of God, anticipating, expecting something that is transcendent? to this life. Now, I, my theology knows very well that, that there is nothing more sacred about this room. This room, the sanctuary, has, has no more sacredness about it than, than your kitchen, your den, your, your bedroom, your, your living room. But let's be honest. When we come here, you are more attuned to the things of God. You are more focused. And yet think of the vast numbers of people confessing Christians today that make excuses not to be here. Some, uh, someone as well said, I love this, an excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Now let that soak in for a little bit. An excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Benjamin Franklin said it this way, he that is good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. Do you know that even atheists see the importance of going to church? 
James Kelly is part of an unusual group in Washington, D.C. They're Episcopals that are atheist, Episcopalian atheist. He said this, uh, he said, we love, we love the incense. We love the stained glass windows. We love the music, the vestments, uh, all of that, the drama, the aesthetics, the ritual. I don't want to give all that up just because I don't believe in God. Now, if that's the way that an unbeliever feels about going to church, an atheist, someone that doesn't believe in God, what does it say about those who confess and profess to believe in God, but find every excuse in the world not to gather with the community of faith? You see, that's the heartbeat of Paul in our passage today in verses 8 through 13. Paul has already expressed his desire, and he will throughout this book. It's really a redundant theme that Paul has this desire to go to Rome. He wants to gather with the church at Rome. His plan is to see the westward expansion of, of the Christian faith beyond Rome all the way to the ends of the earth, to Spain. It's what they understood the ends of the earth to be at that time. And so Paul has this desire to go and to gather with the church at, at Rome. And I want you to see his attitude here in verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He's talking about his prayer, praying for the church at Rome. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. Now, that's the subtlety of Paul. There's really a subtext there that he's interjecting because um, Christianity is known in the eastern part of, of the Roman Empire, but the gospel has not been preached to the westernmost reaches of the Roman Empire. So Paul's not altogether accurate. It is known where uh, the faith of the Roman church is known, everywhere the gospel has been preached, everywhere where a church has been established. And so what Paul is saying is, is that I'm hoping eventually you'll be a part of this Western movement and they too will know about you. Verse nine, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers requesting if perhaps now at last by the will of God, I will succeed in coming to you. Paul has an attitude and a spirit of prayer that is undergirding his going to the church at Rome. And as, I, and as I read about Paul's prayerful attitude and spirit as he, as he prepares to go and gather with the saints in Rome, I wonder if that's our attitude. I wonder if we come to church on Sunday with an attitude of, of prayer like, like Paul. Because what we're going to see in the verses that, that follow in verse 11, 12, and 13 because Paul comes to the church at Rome with a prayerful attitude, what we discover is that Paul's going to church for the right reasons. And the reasons that take Paul in a prayerful attitude to the church at Rome are the same reasons that should drive us to church as well. Well, what are those reasons? What are the right reasons for going to church? Is it, just, is it just habit? Is it just something you take for granted when it's convenient? I'll get up and, and go to church. Or do you come here Sunday in with rhythmic pattern, consistency, because, because you, you understand the reasons, the right reasons for going to church? 
We see that Paul's attitude of prayerfulness as he's going to the church at Rome, uh, he, he's going so for the reason to, of giving something. That's the right reason to go to church. That's the right reason you and I go to church is to give something. To give something to the life of the church, to give something to, to the body of Christ. Now, Paul described it this way. You can hear his own words. He says, for I long to see you. He's using the language of friendship, even though this is not a church that was founded by Paul. He is still using the language of intimacy and friendship for I long to see you so that I may give, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Your translation may use the word strengthened. I want to come to you to, to give something, not, not that you're lacking, but I want, to, I want to come and, and give something that will strengthen you all the more. You see, that's, that's the nature of, of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts and, and the understanding of spiritual gifts is always outward focused from a biblical perspective. Uh, biblical gifts are for the edification of the church. That is the building up of the church. The word edification is a word that Paul would use in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, in that section where he talks about spiritual gifts, because there were many in, in the church at Corinth that were abusing spiritual gifts. They, they were drawing attention to themselves in, in a corporate worship setting. And their default answer was, this is a, this is a spiritual gift from, Paul, from, from God. And, and Paul's thing was, was, no, does this edify the church? Is this for the building up and the strengthening, the edifying of the church? Or is this just something that, that calls attention to you? But those who rightly understand their spiritual giftedness and what's the purpose of spiritual gifts, they know that it's something that they come and give to the life of the church, that, that the church would be established, that the church would be strengthened, that the church would lack for nothing. But oftentimes what happens, and this isn't just a recent phenomenon, this has been going on for 2,000 years in the life of the church. You can easily cross a line where you no longer come to give, but just to get. Get for selfish gain. Get with the attitude of a, of a consumer. We can easily cross that line where, where we're no longer owners, we're just renters. I'm a consumer. You come to church with the same expectation as you would go to some retail store. You go to some uh, restaurant. You're a consumer to be, to be gratified. You're a consumer to have, to have your wants and your preferences met. Or I'll go find me another brand. And so we can easily fall into that, into that trap where it's always about, about my needs, my wants. And there's, there's, this, there's this disconnect. If we're not intentional, if we're not deliberate about being outward in our expression, being outward in our understanding of what it is to be a member of the army of Christ, to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of his missional impact in the world, if we're not intentional and staying, staying, staying focused on that, what happens is you turn inward. It becomes about you. It becomes about your your kingdom, your wants, your preferences. Who's making me happy? Who's not making me happy? And so it takes great intentionality to avoid that. 
Well, how do we escape that mentality? By practicing your spiritual gift. By, by applying and practicing in the life of the church the giftedness that God has given to you. Let's put it back in a first century context and see the importance the vitality that is given to the life of faith when we are serving, when we have an outward, when our arrows are pointing outward instead of living inside our own head, thinking about my consumer wants and desires. Because that, that, that failure to serve and that, that failure to lay oneself down as a servant of Christ, it will destroy the life of faith. The Roman Empire did a lot of things well. The Roman Empire was established. Roman crusaders had conquered the Mediterranean world 100 years before Christ. And some of their works they, they, that, that are left behind, we can see that we can see today. Uh, here's three things that the Roman Empire did, did well. They built good forts for protection. Many of them are still, still you can still see some of them today. Uh, they built roads well for commerce, travel, trade. You can still see many of those roads today. The third thing they built well were, were aqueducts, transference of water. Now, one of those in Sokovia, Spain, around probably about 100 AD, the Roman Empire built an aqueduct from Sokovia, Spain to a water source uh, to a river about 10 miles away. And that, and that aqueduct served the city of Sokovia for, for, for 1,800 years, did its job well. Well, in 1900, the citizens of Sokovia decided, you know, we, we want the generations following. We want our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. We, we want all the generations following to see this, this grand work uh, performed by the Roman Empire, this aqueduct. We, we don't want history to lose this. So what we're going to do is we're going to start transferring water by way of a pipe system. We're going to take it from the aqueduct. We're no longer going to use the aqueduct because we want to preserve it. We're going to use modern piping to bring the water to the city. You know what started happening immediately? The aqueduct started deteriorating, crumbling. The sun was baking the materials that we're using. It was just crumbling apart in large chunks. Idleness killed the aqueduct. Idleness will kill you. When you don't use the giftedness that God has given to you, and every one of you here have a spiritual gift, and when you don't use that giftedness in the life of the church, what happens is you start to decay spiritually. Spiritual atrophy sets in. A means none, no. Trophy means nutrition. When you are not serving, when you are not pointing your arrows out, when everything is about you and you're just filtering everything through your unhappiness, your wants, your desires, when you come to church just looking for what it is that's going to make you unhappy, that feeds your bitterness, spiritual atrophy sets in. You're not nutritionally feeding yourself. We are designed to give. But Paul also expected, listen, when he went to church, to gather with the church at Rome, another one of the right reasons we see is that, that he wanted to get something. 
Not in a selfish way, but, but, but it's the principle of sowing and, and reaping. Notice he says here in verse 12, that is that I might be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. In other words, you and I, as, as the community of faith, we, uh, we're a togethering people. We're, a, we're to be a people who, who do faith together, never in, in, in isolation. This idea that, that faith, I mean, it is absolutely unthinkable that the life of faith could ever be considered apart from the church. There is simply no compelling argument based upon Scripture that would lead one to think that isolation is okay, that not being part of a community of faith is okay. We're a togethering people. They were going to benefit from, from, from Paul. Paul was going to benefit from them. They both were going to be edified and built up and strengthened and encouraged all the more in the same way that we are with one another. You encourage me. Hopefully I'm encouraging you. And we come here and we gather as a community of faith and we, and we know stories of struggles and battles and hardships and it's edifying to us because I, I realized, I thought it was just me. No, it's all of us. And I'm encouraged that it's not just me, I'm not alone. I have siblings, I have brothers and sisters in Christ that face the same adversities, the same hardships, but we keep persevering together. Listen, don't, don't ever underestimate the importance of presence. There is nothing like being here together. When we started coming together again after the worst of the pandemic, there was a lady I ran into, an older lady that just really be able to be older than me, but an older than me actually, Ran into her at a restaurant. And she said, well, you're not going to like to hear this, Pastor, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of enjoying these streaming services. And it sure is easy just to stay home. And she said, I know you don't want to hear that. And we laughed about that and joked about it. And the next Sunday, she was, she was in church. And she cried the whole time. And I called her on Monday to ask if everything was all right. And she said, yes, I just didn't realize how much I missed being in the room with everyone I won't miss again. When you choose to be absent, you take from us what we need. Don't ever diminish your importance and your presence. The church doesn't just need the big personalities. The church doesn't need those who stand up here and do this or lead singing. In fact, on the contrary, it's those that, that are working behind the scenes that are all the more important. Think about Israel's battle against the Amalekites. Do you know as long as Moses, now there's a name of significance, right? Moses? As long as Moses was there holding up his, his arms, the Israelites prevailed in battle over the Amalekites. But when Moses grew tired and his arms start, started to fall, the, the Amalekites would prevail in battle. But there was Aaron on, on one side. Now, there's another name of significance, right? Aaron. We expect a big name like Aaron to do something and be there. And there was Aaron holding up that arm. And on the other arm, there was, there was her. Who? Her. You never heard of her? 
No, an insignificant name. But without this one her standing on the other side, holding up the arms of Moses, the Amalekites would have prevailed and the future of Israel would have looked all the different. Let me give you an illustration of who's really important. 1981, there's an assassination attempt upon then president, the late Ronald Reagan. Government continued to function. Federal government didn't miss a beat. Now you would think that, that the assassination attempt upon the commanding general and the commander in general the, of our forces, the president of the United States, you would think everything would come to a grinding halt. Wouldn't you? At least there would at least be a blink. Nothing. Federal system just kept rolling. That same year, 1981, sanitation workers in Philadelphia went on strike. And within a week, they brought the city to its knees. Now, you might say the president of the United States was more important. But it was the sanitation workers that proved to be indispensable. Every one of us here are significant and needed because of what you give to all of us. It's what we need to get from you. But Paul also, another reason that took him to church, it's not just to give something and to get something, but also to gather something. It says in, in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that often I've planned to come to you and, and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, just as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul's going to see the church at Rome and to gather with the church at Rome, which, which is about 100 people in a city of a million. There were maybe 100 Christians. And when you talk about Paul going to church with the Romans, you don't need to see this in your mind. It's low-lying areas. You know, they're, they're, they're gathering together in at least five different house churches in the low-lying areas of, of, of Rome. I mean, right beneath the, right under the nose of Nero, who himself is called Lord. And Paul's going to them with expectation anticipation of how God is going to use this, this gathering of, of, of these Christians from all walks of life. You know, these hundred or so Christians do something that will impact the Western movement of Christianity to us today. Do you come here with that expectation? I do. I come every Sunday for the past 33 years. I've gone to church with an expectancy that when I preach the word of God, somehow someone's life is going to be impacted. The gospel is going to be planted in someone's life. Someone is going to hear something they haven't heard. And God is going to use it to challenge them, to stretch them, to bring them new places of understanding and commitment in their relationship to him. And when I no longer have that sense of expectation... When I, when I lose that sense of anticipation, when I come into church, listen, I'm walking away. 
Because I believe in the power of God's word to transform lives. Do you? I mean, you have to if it's, if it's going to be a reason for going to church. And Paul has this anticipation, this expectation. When I go, I'm going to, I'm going to obtain some fruit, a harvest among you. Karpos is the word used in, in the Greek. Same word that Paul would use. It's translated differently. But if you were to go to chapter 15 in, in verse 28 of Romans, Paul uses the very same word to talk about the offering that is being taken among the Gentile churches as part of the famine relief offering for, for their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters back, back in Jerusalem. Carpos is fruit, this harvest is the same language that Paul would use in Philippians as well. In chapter 4 and verse 16, and there he talks about, about the gifts, the, the fruit that was borne out by the church at Philippi so that, so that the mission and the ministry of Thessalonica might flourish. And now Paul says, I have this vision for the church at Rome. For you, you hundred believers, I have a vision for what God wants to do that is beyond anything you could ever imagine. Do you have that kind of expectation about church? About the purpose of the church and the role of the church? Because oftentimes there's this, there's this disconnect, especially when you, if you have a consumer mentality, there, there evolves a disconnect between uh, what a consumer crowd thinks the role of the pastor and staff is and what pastor and staff understand their role to be as prescribed by Scripture, which is to make disciples, to prepare and equip followers of Christ, to go out and to be the army of Christ, to be his living presence in the world. That's how I'm going to be judged. I'll be judged for my own personal walk, but I'll also be, be judged on the basis of what I've taught. And God's judgment of me is not going to be based upon the favorable opinion that, I, that, I, that, that you have of me. Well, Bobby, you failed to make so-and-so happy. You know, they laid out pretty clearly their preferences and you didn't meet their preferences. I'm sorry, you're just not going to get a blessing from me. That's not, that's not, that's not going to be the judgment of God. He's going to say that the judgment is going to be an evaluation of how truthful I was. Did you preach and teach the gospel with clarity so that those who heard your voice are without excuse? That you've portrayed and painted clearly what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to be evaluated. That's how our staff is going to be evaluated in eternity. We've got to have a vision of how God desires to use us. That's why we use the language of first Lubbock, first Lubbock in our missional vision. And from this and from this platform, we have opportunity to do and we do so much more beyond. We need to have a vision for something beyond the inside of the walls, being satisfied just coming to church. We have to understand the significance of who we are as the people of God. Charlie DeLeo had, an, uh, had a job for 25 years. He was called the keeper of the flame. And it was his responsibility to keep illuminated the torch on, 
on Lady Liberty. I was intrigued when I saw that, that documentary, went and bought the book that was written about him, Keeper of the Flame. And upon watching that and reading that, I thought, that's us. That's the church. We're the keeper of the flame. The flame of righteousness, the flame of, of salvation. To draw people in this dark world to the light of the world. If you've been coming to church more and more and getting less and less out of it, Maybe it's because you've been coming for the wrong reasons. Maybe it's a different mindset that is needed. A mindset undergirded like Paul by prayer. Because when it is undergirded by, by prayer, you will, you will come here to give something. Contribute to the body of Christ. You will get something in return. The fellowship of believers. And you'll be a part of the great gathering process that God is still seeking to accomplish in this world. Those are the right reasons for going to church. Let's pray together. Our Father, in a culture such as ours, it's so easy to get off point, to get off task, to become sidetracked by our own wants and preferences like any consumer on the street. But Father, I pray that we will always have before us that missional intent that you have laid upon our hearts as new believers. Understand that we are part of a much greater missional enterprise. That our purpose is always for what happens outside these walls. That our mission is not here, but it is out in the world in the classroom, in the workplace, our interactions at, at the intersections of, of life. The Father, might we truly have a spirit of prayer when it comes to the church, that we would understand the significance of our presence, the significance of our gifts, and the collective role we have together in being part of your great gathering for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.